As we come to Psalm 23 today, I want to take you to the highlands of Scotland. And it's winter time, about November over there when it's winter time, way up in the highlands. And there's a shepherd called Little Douglas. Everybody called him Little Douglas. And he's bringing the young sheep down from the parks in the mountains. And an early snowstorm comes and there's a gale of wind. Little Douglas and his brother find themselves walking against a blizzard. It's virtually impossible to move as the two brothers cannot see where they're going. There's so much snow in their eyes. These shepherds can hardly breathe as the snow keeps getting into their throats. The snow pours down on Douglas so that his coat is saturated. Doug knows that the mountain is a sure place for him normally. But Doug is having to watch every centimetre and fight for every step. Doug wants to rescue these young sheep. Coming behind Doug is his big brother. Here is Doug's fellow shepherd, known as Big Fellow. Big brother is big in every way. He's a hefty and strong. Suddenly, when Doug is just about at the point of saying, I think we'll give up, I think we'll pack it in, Doug feels a tap on his shoulder and his big brother says, I'll go in front for a while. So Doug's big brother comes around him and Doug walks behind. Doug explains, You know, it was as if I suddenly arrived in a different world. I would have hardly known it was snowing at all. It certainly would not, I would not have known there was a breath of wind. There was this big fellow in front of me. And all I had to do to keep going was very simple. I just watched his feet and put my feet where his feet had been. I knew if there was a big bog there, big brother would be up to his neck before I would be. I also discovered something else. The closer I kept behind my big brother, the easier it was for me. The moment I fell back, even if it was only two steps, I was beginning to battle on my own. My first main point as we look into Psalm 23 is about righteousness. Psalm 23 and verse 3, He guides me in paths of righteousness. Righteousness is a very important Bible word. I discovered this verse when I was teaching my children to read. They learned to read when they were very, very young. Um, I would be teaching them with flashcards and also teaching them from the book of Proverbs. One of the first words they had to learn was righteousness. And another word they had to learn very quickly was righteous. It comes up all the time. You go through your book of Psalms, you'll find it everywhere. Psalm 4, God of my righteousness. There's nothing like this word. It's a very, very important word. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why do you and I need it to be guided? by the good shepherd in paths of righteousness. Isaiah 53.6 Isaiah 53.6 We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way or her own way. We're all in terrible trouble. God requires that we take those paths that match his righteous requirements. Those paths must be the ones that lead to his righteous goals. We all want to be our own leader. We all want to be our own shepherd, our own master, our own guide. We think we can do better for ourselves than we can do with the good shepherd. We think God will walk with us. Nah, we don't need him to walk with us. We can walk in paths of self-religion, self-effort, our own opinions, and of course, self-righteousness. When the Lord begins to guide you in paths of his own righteousness, he first of all shows you you're in terrible trouble. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64.6 Isaiah 64.6 All All our righteous acts Well if that's what our righteous acts are like What must be our unrighteous acts be like? Virgin warns All our righteous acts Are Like filthy rags Our paths of righteousness Let me use the word imploded They're imploded paths of righteousness. If we had some pictures to put up on the wall, we would put up a picture of an old farm building. My cousin Arthur Radford had them up on Facebook. It was the old farm building ten years ago. And then he had the old farm building three years ago. And then he had the old farm building, what's left of it, today. That's all imploded not gone out that way but gone in this way it's awful disaster that's just the mess that we're in the righteousness that we think is okay is all collapsed we're lost just like those young sheep up in the highlands of Scotland The good shepherd knows you and he knows you've lost your way. But then it comes into your mind, what about those good things that people do? You know, those things that are technically called civic virtues. Those mothers who make all kinds of sacrifices for their children. They really care about their children and they do what's right by their children over and over again. And there really are people who return lost wallets with the money still there. They don't take the money out. It's called a civic virtue. But the Lord will ask, why? Why does that mum really care for her children? Why does that man who found a small fortune in a wallet return the wallet with the money still in there? In paths of righteousness, it must mean, if it's God's righteousness and done for the right motive, it means because they love the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. Jesus tells us this in 20, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He explains, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We must have the right reason for doing things. 
The motivation must be right. Our imploded righteousness shows that we're not really following the paths of the Good Shepherd if it doesn't come to why we do it. And Romans 3 and verse 10 tells us there is no one, no one righteous, not even one. This terrible collapsed righteousness extends to our whole person, to our mind, to our heart, our body. We think, but our thinking is distorted. We're able to make choices, but we're never as good as we should be. We're not as bad as we could be, but we're never ever as good as we should be. Maybe somebody here who doesn't really like the account that the Bible gives of natural righteousness. But look back over your life and tell me one single day in which you've done all that God requires in that day and left nothing undone. One day. You won't be able to find that day. It's not in your calendar. It's not in your personal history. It's not in your track record. Some of us have lived 20, 40, 60 years of 365 of those days. That's imploded righteousness. What have you got to say, the Lord will say to you, about every day? And all those moments in every day. Bear in mind that... James tells us that one single offence makes us guilty. Jesus tells us that in God's account, a thought or a feeling is in the same bag as an outward act. An angry look is in the same bag as murder. That your eyes are the spies of your heart. By what you gaze on, your heart lusts. I say this morning it's better to humble ourselves and confess that we didn't really know our own vileness than to flatter ourselves with our self-righteousness and then perish everlastingly. Imploded righteousness. It would be terrible to go home with just that message this morning. We go to the next one. My second main point is about imputed righteousness. I didn't make these headings up, by the way. (laughs) Imputed righteousness. When you find your own path of righteousness all collapsed and imploded, you become eager to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You should. Why not? The good shepherd, little Douglas, is ready to give up when his big brother... Remember little Douglas? Little Douglas is ready to give up when his big brother taps Doug on the shoulder. The moment of surrender is the moment of victory. Let's big brother take over. Jeremiah 23 and verse 6. Jeremiah 23, 6. Jesus Christ is the Lord our righteousness. We're saved not only by the death of Jesus, but also by his life. 
a double transfer takes place, just like Big Brother coming in front. A double transfer takes place. It's like a huge check coming into your bank account. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, goes to the cross. He suffers the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins, but not only for our unrighteousness, but for everything that goes with it, all of it. Jesus voluntarily took upon himself our sins. Jesus became, becomes the sin bearer. When God the Father transfers our sins to him, that's what imputed means. It's a legal transfer. Jesus takes our guilt in his own person. Our guilt was imputed or transferred to him. The other transfer occurs when God puts Jesus' righteousness to our account. You can see what happens? How secure is that transfer? How real is it? Nothing could be more sure for all time and for all eternity. Just think of a huge bank account in your name, your own name. No one whatsoever has any legal right to take your money. It's the same with the righteousness that is transferred to you. No one at all can take that righteousness from you. Jesus' righteousness is your very own and it's absolutely secure. You have this righteousness this morning. It's simply a matter of trust. You see how little Doug is taken over in the snowstorm. You're being tapped on the shoulder this morning. The Lord Jesus is here and he says to you, trust me. That's what he says. Trust me. Trust me now. Don't wait till the end of the service. Trust. You say, I can't trust you. We'll get to know Jesus better. Read his book. Find out more. But I'm sure that nearly all of us in this building know lots about him already. How much he is worth trusting. Why you should have confidence in him. You trust your bank manager and you don't know him much at all. You trust the bank. You don't know all the details about what that bank is doing with your money. But you can trust the Lord Jesus. You know facts about him. And the best thing about him is all those facts that you know from the Gospels and the rest of the Bible, they're all not only true, but he can't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He says, commit yourself to me. Trust me, I'm the good shepherd. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, 2 Timothy 1.12, he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until the final day, until that day. Jesus is the appointed keeper and the guardian of our souls. It is his duty of care to protect you from those blizzards of sin, death, hell and Satan himself. You place yourself in the hands of the almighty shepherd, then you are insured against loss for all eternity. You trust yourself to the good shepherd and you're safe. Do you truly trust Jesus? 
I think it's impossible to overrate the immense importance of that question. Life or death, heaven or hell, blessing and cursing, all hinge upon that question, do you truly trust Jesus? Anyone who trusts the Good Shepherd is not condemned. Anyone who refuses to trust is condemned already. If you truly trust, you're pardoned. You're in the right, you're justified. You're accepted in God's sight. And you have the title to everlasting life. If you do not trust the Good Shepherd, you're perishing daily. Your unrighteousness is upon your own head, sinking you down to destruction. Every hour you're so much nearer final condemnation. I ask again, do you truly trust Jesus? It matters nothing what other people are doing. This question concerns yourself. The foolishness of other people is no excuse for the foolishness of yourself. Just because of what they're doing. The loss of heaven will not be less bitter because you lose it in company. This is all to do with your own responsibility. Do you truly trust Jesus? There's no answer to say that you sometimes think that Christ died for you. The Bible never tells us to spend our time in doubts and hesitation on this point. Find the facts. Find out the facts and find out what it's like. And go with me. It doesn't change. It can't change. That's his nature. The Bible never tells us to spend time in doubts and hesitation on this point of trusting Jesus. Did he truly die for me? We never read of a single case of someone who stood on that ground. The sure path of righteousness is never made to turn on that question whether Jesus died for a particular person or not. The turning point which is always set before you and me is this step of trust. Is the Good Shepherd, the Lord, our righteousness, worthy of your trust? We've had imploded righteousness, imputed righteousness, and the last one, of course, is imparted righteousness. How do you know that the imputed path of righteousness is your own, that you'll have all those millions of righteousness secure as your own? How do you know? How do you know that you really trust the shepherd? That he's yours and you're his. You trust the good shepherd. Well, there has to be a change in your actual lifestyle. This is evident in what's called deeds, the doing of righteousness. You choose paths of righteousness and you follow the good shepherd. You follow his goals. This truth serves as a warning to say that it's possible to be following the good shepherd and yet never make wise choices of paths of righteousness. When you trust the good shepherd, when it, your trust is real, there is this desire to follow Jesus closely, like Doug does. You don't want to fall back. You really don't want to battle on your own. Righteousness is imparted from the Lord God. We read it before. Paul insists in Philippians 2 and verse 12 
Philippians 2, verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God is at work in you. When you have that righteousness of Jesus as your own, God is working in your life. And when he's working in your life, it's also a call to be diligent in the pursuit of righteousness. This is a call to work. It's a call to action. Paul tells you to work with fear and trembling. Paul isn't talking about being in a state of paralyzing uncertainty. But Paul insists that there are footprints of a perfect shepherd for you to follow. And you're not called to relax as you follow in paths of righteousness. There's work for you to do. Work with fear and trembling. Stand in awe of what you're doing. This is something all important. This is something different from cooperation. The shepherd imparts righteousness. He does everything. But you also do everything. You say, where's the logic in that? The Bible logic is a little bit different from yours and mine. You can have three persons and one God. And you can have Jesus perfectly human and perfectly God. You do everything and God does everything. The shepherd guides, but you take the paths and follow as close as possible. Jonathan Edwards, the great American pastor, he explains, God is the only proper author and fountain, and we are the only proper actors. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. Bit complicated? You try it in your life. You say, I've got to put the armour on. I've got to follow the shepherd. Follow all those commands. I've got to do it. But where do you get the ability and the power and the motivation? You get it from a God who's working in you. The Bible always treats you as accountable. And you're a responsible person. If the good shepherd gives you renewing grace, you may be sure that he expects you to use all your powers and not to give up. The paths of righteousness then don't consist in talking about religion. This is a point which ought never to be forgotten. The tongue is the only, not the only important part of us. We have all kinds of other faculties as well. And we're meant to use them all, not just our tongue, to talk about these things, and our mind just to talk about them. Paths of righteousness don't consist in temporary religious feelings. Many, it is feared, and I've seen so many over the years, appear moved and touched and roused under the preaching of the gospel, while in reality their hearts don't change at all because they don't want them changed. Paths of righteousness don't consist in outward formalism and external devotion. It's happening in thousands of churches in Australia today where people come along and go through the routines and they've been and they've done it. What happened in their hearts and minds? Very little. Paths of righteousness aren't the paths of formality. John Charles Ryle says, 
Sin has slain its thousands, but formality has has slain its tens of thousands. People go through the acts of religion, but it means very little to them. Paths of righteousness don't consist in retirement from your place in life and turning your back on your social duties. In every age it's been a snare to many to take this line of pursuit of holiness. People forget that there are no bolts and bars that can keep Satan out and that wherever you go you carry the root of some of that evil, some of that imploded righteousness still in your own heart. True holiness does not make a true Christian evade difficulties. Instead, you face them and overcome them. You have the shepherd up ahead going with you and he expects you to take those steps in social duties of all kinds, in your home, in your street, where you work, in your school, whatever you do. Paths of righteousness are not merely the occasional performance of right actions. It's a continual work of a new heavenly principle within which runs through your daily conduct in everything you do, big or small. Not like a pump, which only sends forth the water when somebody pushes on it, but it's like a perpetual fountain from which a stream is ever flowing spontaneously and naturally. Genuine paths of righteousness are habitual efforts to do the shepherd's will to live according to his practical rules. The good shepherd explains, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. John 15, 14, John 15, 14. Well, as I conclude this morning, I ask, why does God impute and impart righteousness to his sheep? Why does the good shepherd guide people like you in paths of righteousness? Psalm 23, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's all to do with the reflection of ourselves from himself. His character is seen in people like ourselves for his name's sake. The shepherd will have his name listened to and understood and received, believed in, and honoured. The good shepherd cannot be separated from his character, his name. He guides me, he guides you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for the honour of his name. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are here and you've been working in our lives. We don't want to be the same ever again. We want to follow you. We want to take those steps. We want to follow closely. We want to be assured that your imputed righteousness is in our account. Work in our hearts and lives. May we make every effort this week and all the weeks that will follow all our lives long to follow what you want in our lives. Work in our motivation areas. May we be thrilled to see our lives changing 
It may not change a lot from one year, one week to the next, but surely they must change, Lord Jesus, from one year to the next, from one Easter to the next Easter. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can make promises to yourself. We promise this morning to serve you to the end. Be ever near us, our master and our friend, our good shepherd, the good shepherd who gave his life for sheep like ourselves. We pray in his name, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.